Section 18 of The Heart of the West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Wendell. Heart of the West by O. Henry. A Chaparral Prince. Nine o'clock at last, and the drudging toil of the day was ended. Lena climbed to her room in the third half-story of the Quarryman's Hotel. Since daylight she had slaved, doing the work of a full-grown woman, scrubbing the floors, washing the heavy ironstone plates and cups, making the beds, and supplying the insatiate demands for wood and water in that turbulent and depressing hostelry. The din of the day's quarrying was over, the blasting and drilling, the creaking of the great cranes, the shouts of the foreman, the backing and shifting of the flat cars hauling the heavy blocks of limestone. Down in the hotel office, three or four of the laborers were growling and swearing over a belated game of checkers. Heavy odors of stewed meat, hot grease, and cheap coffee hung like a depressing fog about the house. Lena lit the stump of a candle and sat limply upon her wooden chair. She was eleven years old, thin and ill-nourished. Her back and limbs were sore and aching, but the ache in her heart made the biggest trouble. The last straw had been added to the burden upon her small shoulders. They had taken away Grim. Always at night, however tired she might be, she had turned to Grim for comfort and hope. Each time had Grim whispered to her that the prince or the fairy would come and deliver her out of the wicked enchantment. Every night she had taken fresh courage and strength from Grim. To whatever tale she read, she found an analogy in her own condition. The woodcutter's lost child, the unhappy goose girl, the persecuted stepdaughter, the little maiden imprisoned in the witch's hut. All these were but transparent disguises for Lena, the overworked kitchen maid in the quarryman's hotel. And always, when the extremity was direst, came the good fairy or the gallant prince to the rescue. So here, in the ogre's castle, enslaved by a wicked spell, Lena had leaned upon Grimm and waited, longing for the powers of goodness to prevail. But on the day before Mrs. Maloney had found the book in her room and had carried it away, declaring simply that it would not do for servants to read at night, they lost sleep and did not work briskly the next day. Can one only eleven years old, living away from one's mamma, and never having had time to play, live entirely deprived of grim? Just try it once, and you will see what a difficult thing it is. Lena's home was in Texas, way up among the little mountains on the Perdanalus River, in a little town called Fredericksburg. They are all German people who live in Fredericksburg. Of evenings they sit at little tables along the sidewalk and drink beer and play pinochle and scat. They are very thrifty people. Thriftiest among them was Peter Hildesmuller, Lena's father, and that is why Lena was sent to work in the hotel at the quarries thirty miles away. She earned three dollars every week there, and Peter added her wages to his well-guarded store. Peter had an ambition to become as rich as his neighbor, Hugo Heffelbauer who smoked a meerschaum pipe three feet long and had wiener schnitzel and hassenpfeffer for dinner every day in the week. And now Lena was quite old enough to work 
and assist in the accumulation of riches. But conjecture, if you can, what it means to be sentenced at eleven years of age from a home in the pleasant little Rhine village to hard labor in the ogre's castle, where you must fly to serve the ogres while they devour cattle and sheep, growling fiercely as they stamp white limestone dust from their great shoes for you to sweep and scour with your weak, aching fingers, and then to have grim taken away from you. Lena raised the lid of an old empty case that had once contained canned corn and got out a sheet of paper and a piece of pencil. She was going to write a letter to her mama. Tommy Ryan was going to post it for her at Bollinger's. Tommy was seventeen, worked in the quarries, went home to Bollinger's every night, and was now waiting in the shadows under Lena's window for her to throw the letter out to him. That was the only way she could send a letter to Fredericksburg. Mrs. Maloney did not like for her to write letters. The stump of the candle was burning low, so Lena hastily bit the wood from around the lead of her pencil and began. This is the letter she wrote. Dearest Mama, I want so much to see you, and Gretel and Klaus and Heinrich and little Adolf. I am so tired. I want to see you. Today I was slapped by Mrs. Maloney and had no supper. I could not bring in enough wood, for my hand hurt. She took my book yesterday, I mean Grimm's Fairy Tales, which Uncle Leo gave me. It did not hurt for anyone for me to read the book. I try to work as well as I can, but there is so much to do. I read only a little bit every night. Dear Mama, I shall tell you what I am going to do. Unless you send for me tomorrow to bring me home, I shall go to a deep place I know in the river and drown. It is wicked to drown, I suppose, but I wanted to see you, and there is no one else. I am very tired, and Tommy is waiting for the letter. You will excuse me, Mama, if I do it. Your respectful and loving daughter, Lena. Tommy was still waiting faithfully when the letter was concluded, and when Lena dropped it out, she saw him pick it up and start up the steep hillside. Without undressing, she blew out the candle and curled herself upon the mattress on the floor. At ten-thirty o'clock, old man Bollinger came out of his house in his stocking feet and leaned over the gate, smoking his pipe. He looked down the big road, white in the moonshine, and rubbed one ankle with the toe of his other foot. It was time for the Fredericksburg mail to come pattering up the road. Old man Bollinger had waited only a few minutes when he heard the lively hoofbeats of Fritz's team of little black mules, and very soon afterward his covered spring wagon stood in front of the gate. Fritz's big spectacles flashed in the moonlight, and his tremendous voice shouted a greeting to the postmaster of Bollinger's. The mail carrier jumped out and took the bridles from the mules, for he always fed them oats at Bollinger's. While the mules were eating from their feed bags, old man Bollinger brought out the mail sack and threw it into the wagon. Fritz Bergman was a man of three sentiments, or to be more accurate, four, the pair of mules deserving to be reckoned individually. Those mules were the chief interest and joy of his existence. Next came the Emperor of Germany and Lena Hildesmuller. Tell me, said Fritz, when he was ready to start, contains the sack a letter to Frau Hildesmuller from the little Lena at the quarries? One came in the last mail to say that she is a little sick already. 
her mamma is very anxious to hear again. Yes, said old man Bollinger, there's a letter for Mrs. Helter-Skelter, or some such name. Tommy Ryan brung it over when he come. Her little gal working over there, you say. In the hotel, shouted Fritz, as he gathered up the lines. Eleven years old, and not bigger as a Frankfurter. The closed fist of a Peter Hildesmuller. Some day I shall with a big club pound that man's Dumkoff. All in and out the town. Perhaps in this letter, Lena will say that she is yet feeling better, so her mamma will be glad. Auf Wiedersehen, Herr Bollinger. Your feats will take cold out in the air. So long, Fritzi, said old man Bollinger. You got a good, cool night for your drive. Up the road went the little black mules at their steady trot, while Fritz thundered at them occasional words of endearment and cheer. These fancies occupied the mind of the mail carrier until he reached the big post-oak forest, eight miles from Bollinger's. Here his ruminations were scattered by the sudden flash and report of pistols, and a whooping as if from a whole tribe of Indians. A band of galloping centaurs closed in around the mail wagon. One of them leaned over the front wheel, covered the driver with his revolver, and ordered him to stop. Others caught at the bridles of Donder and Blitzen. Donnerwetter! shouted Fritz, with all his tremendous voice. What ist? Release your hands from those mules. Vivas der United States mail. Hurry up, Dutch, drawled a melancholy voice. Don't you know when you're in a stick-up? Reverse your mules and climb out of the cart. It is due to the breadth of Hondo Bill's demerit and the largeness of his achievements to state that the holding up of the Fredericksburg mail was not perpetrated by way of an exploit. As the lion, while in the pursuit of prey, commensurate to his prowess, might set a frivolous foot upon a casual rabbit in his path, so Hondo Bill and his gang had swooped sportively upon the Pacific transport of Meinherr Fritz. The real work of their sinister night ride was over. Fritz and his mailbag and his mules came as gentle relaxation, grateful after the arduous duties of their profession. Twenty miles to the southeast, stood a train with a killed engine, hysterical passengers, and a looted express and mail car. That represented the serious occupation of Hondo Bill and his gang. With a fairly rich prize of currency and silver, the robbers were making a wide detour to the west, through the less populous country, intending to seek safety in Mexico by means of some fordable spot on the Rio Grande. The booty from the train had melted the desperate bushrangers to jovial and happy skylarkers. Trembling with outraged dignity and no little personal apprehension, Fritz climbed out to the road after replacing his suddenly removed spectacles. The band had dismounted and were singing, capering, and whooping, thus expressing their satisfied delight in the life of a jolly outlaw. Rattlesnake Rogers, who stood at the heads of the mules, jerked a little too vigorously at the rein of the tender-mouthed Donder, who reared and emitted a loud, protesting snort of pain. Instantly, Fritz, with a scream of anger, flew at the bulky Rogers and began to assiduously pummel that surprised freebooter with his fists. "'Villain!' shouted Fritz. "'Dog! Big stiff! Dot mule has a soreness by his mouth! I will knock off your shoulders mit your head, rubbermans!' Yay! yelled Rattlesnake, roaring with laughter and ducking his head. <laughs> Somebody get this here sauerkraut off of me! <laughs> One of the band yanked Fritz by the coattail, and the woods rang with Rattlesnake's vociferous comments. 
The doggone little wienerwurst, he yelled amiably. He's not so much of a skunk for a Dutchman. Took up for his animile plum quick, didn't he? Like to see a man like his hoss, even if it is a mule. Dad blamed little Limburger. He went for me, didn't he? Oh, now, Bewley, I ain't gonna hurt you with your mouth any more again. Perhaps the male would not have been tampered with had not Ben Moody, the lieutenant, possessed certain wisdom that seemed to promise more spoils. Say, Cap, he said, addressing Hondo Bill, there's likely to be good pickings in these mail sacks. I've done some hoss trading with those Dutchmen around Fredericksburg, and I know the style of the varmints. There's big money goes through the mails to that town. Them Dutch risk a thousand dollars sent wrapped in a piece of paper before they'd pay the banks to handle the money. Hondo Bill, six feet two, gentle of voice and impulsive in action, was dragging the sacks from the rear of the wagon before Moody had finished his speech. A knife shone in his hand, and they heard the ripping sound as it bit through the tough canvas. The outlaws crowded around and began tearing open letters and packages, enlivening their labors by swearing affably at the riders, who seemed to have conspired to confute the prediction of Ben Moody. Not a dollar was found in the Fredericksburg mail. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself,' said Hondo Bill to the mail carrier in solemn tones. "'To be packing such a lot of old, trashy paper as this. "'What do you mean by it, anyhow? "'Where do you Dutchers keep your money at?' "'The Bollinger mail sack opened like a cocoon under Hondo's knife. "'It contained but a handful of mail. "'Fritz had been fuming with terror and excitement until this sack was reached. "'He now remembered Lena's letter. "'He addressed the leader of the band, asking that the particular missive be spared. "'Much obliged, Dutch,' he said to the disturbed carrier.' I guess that's the letter we want. Got spondulix in it, ain't it? Here she is. Make a light, boys. Hondo found and tore open the letter to Mrs. Hildesmuller. The others stood about, lighting twisted-up letters one from another. Hondo gazed with mute disapproval at the single sheet of paper covered with the angular German script. Whatever is this you've humbugged with us, Dutchy? You call this here a valuable letter? That's a mighty low-down trick to play on your friends, but come along to help you distribute your mail. That's Chiny writing, said Sandy Grundy, peering over Hondo's shoulder. Year off your kazip, declared another of the gang, an effective youth covered with silk handkerchiefs and nickel plating. That's shorthand. I see him do it once in court. Ach, no, no, no. That is German, said Fritz. It is no more as a little girl writing a letter to her mama. One poor little girl. Sick and working hard away from home. Ach! It is a shame. Good Mr. Robberman, will you please let me have that letter? What the devil do you take us for, old pretzels? said Honda with sudden and surprising severity. You ain't presuming to insinuate that we gents ain't possessed of sufficient politeness for to take an interest in the Mrs. Health, are you? Now you go on, and you read that scratching out loud and in plain United States language to this here company of educated society. Hondo twirled his six-shooter by a trigger guard and stood towering above the little German, who at once began to read the letter, translating the simple words into English. The gang of rovers stood in absolute silence, listening intently. How old is that kid? asked Hondo when the letter was done. Eleven said Fritz. And where is she at? At those rock quarries, workin'. Ach, mein Gott! Little Lena, does she speak of drowning? I do not know if she will do it. 
but if she shall, I swear I will dot Peter Hildesmuller shoot me the gun. You Dutchers, said Hondo Bill, his voice swelling with contempt, make me plenty tired, hiring out your kids to work when they ought to be playing dolls in the sand. You're a hell of a sect of people. I reckon we'll fix your clock for a while, just to show what we think of your old cheesy nation. Here, boys. Hondo Bill parlayed aside briefly with his band, and then seized Fritz and conveyed him off the road to one side. Here they bound him fast to a tree with a couple of lariats. His team they tied to another tree nearby. We ain't gonna hurt you bad, said Hondo reassuringly. Don't hurt you to be tied up for a while. We will now pass you the time of day, as it is up to us to depart. Oscar Spiel. Next cumorous, Dutchie. Don't get any more impatience. Fritz heard a great squeaking of saddles as the men mounted their horses, then a loud yell and a great clatter of hoofs as they galloped pell-mell back along the Fredericksburg Road. For more than two hours Fritz sat against his tree, tightly but not painfully bound. Then from the reaction after his exciting adventure, he sank into slumber. How long he slept he knew not, but he was at last awakened by a rough shake. Hands were untying his ropes. He was lifted to his feet dazed confused in mind and weary of body rubbing his eyes he looked and saw that he was again in the midst of the same band of terrible bandits they shoved him up to the seat of his wagon and placed the lines in his hands head out for home dutch said hondo bill's voice commandingly you've given us lots of trouble and we're pleased to see the back of your neck spiel zwebeer vamoose Honda reached out and gave Blitzen a smart cut with his quirt. The little mules sprang ahead, glad to be moving again. Fritz urged them along, himself dizzy and muddled over his fearful adventure. According to schedule time, he should have reached Fredericksburg at daylight. As it was, he drove down the long street of the town at eleven o'clock a.m. He had to pass Peter Hildesmuller's house on his way to the post office. He stopped his team at the gate and called, but Frau Hildesmuller was watching for him. Out rushed the whole family of Hildesmuller's. Frau Hildesmuller, fat and flushed, inquired if he had a letter from Lena. And then Fritz raised his voice and told the tale of his adventure. He told the contents of that letter that the robber had made him read. And then Frau Hildesmuller broke into wild weeping. Her little Lena drowned herself. Why had they sent her from home? What could be done? Perhaps it would be too late by the time they could send for her now. Peter Hildesmuller dropped his meerschaum on the walk, and it shivered into pieces. Woman, he roared at his wife, why did you let that child go away? It is your fault if she comes home to us no more. Everyone knew that it was Peter Hildesmuller's fault, so they paid no attention to his words. A moment afterward, a strange, faint voice was heard to call, Mama. Frau Hildesmuller at first thought it was Lena's spirit calling, and then she rushed to the rear of Fritz's covered wagon, and with a loud shriek of joy, caught up Lena herself, covering her pale little face with kisses and smothering her with hugs. Lena's eyes were heavy with the deep slumber of exhaustion, but she smiled and lay close to the one she had longed to see. There, among the mail sacks, covered in a nest of strange blankets and comforters, she had lain asleep until awakened by the voices around her. Fritz stared at her with eyes that bulged behind his spectacles. 
got in himmel he shouted how did you get in that wagon am i going crazy as well as to be murdered and hanged by robbers this day you brought her to us fritz cried frau hildesmuller how can we ever thank you enough tell mamma how you came in fritz's wagon said frau hildesmuller i don't know said lena but i know how i got away from the hotel the prince brought me by the emperor's crown shouted fritz we are all going crazy i always knew he would come said lena sitting down on her bundle of bedclothes on the sidewalk last night he came with his armed knights and captured the ogre's castle they broke the dishes and kicked down the doors they pitched mr maloney into a barrel of rainwater and threw flour all over mrs maloney the workmen in the hotel jumped out of the windows and ran into the woods when the knights began firing their guns they wakened me up and i peeped down the stair and then the prince came up and wrapped me in the bedclothes and carried me out he was so tall and strong and fine his face was as rough as a scrubbing brush and he talked soft and kind and smelled of schnapps he took me on his horse before him and we rode away among the knights he held me close and i went to sleep that way and didn't wake up till i got home rubbish cried fritz bergman fairy tales how did you come from the quarries to my wagon the prince brought me said lena confidently and to this day the good people of fredericksburg haven't been able to make her give any other explanation end of a chaparral prince recording by gary wendell